Hey, you're listening to the Time and Talks podcast. I'm your host, Dejal V. Patel, and this is the place where we have refreshingly real talks about the biggest problems moms face in motherhood and life and the spiritual solutions to solve them. If you're ready to reset your mindset with some major truth bombs, well then, let's dive in. Namaste, mods and mamas. Welcome back to another episode. I am so happy you're here tuning in because this is a very, very important one. As you guys all know, I'm such a big mental health advocate for children, but I think it's equally as important to talk about mental health awareness in mothers as well too. In the last few months, mental health has been a top concern. And frankly, I finally feel that it's getting the detention that it deserves. We're recognizing that taking care of our mental health is just as important as our physical health. With the pandemic putting us in chronic stress mode and just a lot of life circumstances just creating a hypersensitive situation where we're chronically in high gear, we're realizing we need the tools and the ability to find peace of mind. One such experience in the South Asian community was the passing of a young mother to postpartum depression. And due to this tragic loss, many of us mothers have been opening and vulnerably sharing our truth, sharing our journey with postpartum depression, how it felt and how it manifested for us or our loved ones. And I think this is a beautiful way to connect with each other and realize that we do support each other. There are options out there to gain the support that we need. And I think one of the biggest stigmas, especially for South Asian, is therapy. No, we do not talk about our problems. We don't go to a professional to talk about mental health things. And I think finally, seeing more South Asian women our generation who are psychotherapists will start help breaking that stigma. And today I wanted to talk to a marriage and family therapist to help us understand what therapy is. How can it help someone who's going through postpartum depression? What does it look like? Everything that you may have been scared to ask or you've been confused about, we're going to talk about it today. And I want you to think of this podcast to be the first part of two. This first part, we're really going to talk about therapy, the research, resources, the support, what postpartum depression signs and symptoms look like so we can recognize them in our friends, our sisters, and our loved ones. And then the next episode is a firsthand candid account of what postpartum depression looked like for one mother. So we're going to talk to Ali Levine, mom influencer and celebrity expert who has built her platform on sharing the truth of postpartum depression. She openly will talk about how it manifested for her, what it looked like, and also the resources and the tools like therapy, meditation, mindfulness that helped her reconnect to herself. And she'll talk about how her first pregnancy where she experienced postpartum depression is starkly different from her current pregnancy and birth of her second daughter. So I really want you to listen to these two together because it's going to open our heart, open our mind to understand what postpartum depression looks like, what therapy can look like and how it can serve us. And also just understand if this is something that you've experienced, you are certainly not alone. There is support available to you. And I just want you to have access to that. 
So in today's episode, I talked to Archana Nelmeg. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist in California who uses holistic, evidence-based, and a practical approach in her work with clients. She has a specialty in perinatal mental health, along with having a huge mission to spread wellness for minority communities, especially South Asian women, in both her practice and volunteer work. She is also a co-facilitator for Postpartum Support International's South Asian Mom Support Group. You can also catch Archana and her children on Instagram at Presentful Mama, sharing ways to help normalize mental health through creativity and spirituality. So in this episode, Archana is going to help us press the reset button on the stigma of therapy. So without further ado, let's dive in. Thank you so much, Archana, for being here on the Time and Talks podcast. I've been waiting for this episode for so long. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to spill everything about therapy and, you know, mental wellness. So we know that there's such a stigma around South Asians and therapy. And I really think it's amazing because we're seeing more women like you who are psychotherapists who are South Asian. And I think it's so important just to kind of get some of the mistaken maybe myths that we have. To be honest, like when we grew up, it's like you're either a doctor or a lawyer or engineer. So it's so awesome to see someone in our generation who's also a psychotherapist. So I'd love to just start at the beginning of what inspired you to become a psychotherapist and why you're so passionate about being a mental health advocate. Sure. So funny how you mentioned those three doctors, lawyers, and engineers. So I actually was on the path to being an engineer. I actually worked in corporate in email marketing. And, you know, that's obviously like when I'm graduated from like undergrad and stuff. And I just knew like while I was working, the only thing I really, truly loved about my work was connecting with people. So that was like a big aha moment for me. Like I needed a career change. But like starting from the beginning, um, I was always surrounded in like a spiritual like upbringing. So, you know, self-inquiry was something that was in the air all the time, like vibrationally. And then, you know, as I as through childhood, you know, I experienced my own like childhood trauma, which many of us have experienced. So that was one thing. And then also being South Asian, I'm you know, I am like Saurashtra, which is a minority within the minority of being South Asian. And the interesting thing was that as a South Asian and being Saurashtra, I would feel othered unintentionally sometimes um, just within the community. And then, you know, just all of that compiled together, just, you know, I really wanted to be part of that change so that no one else would feel othered or work towards that change. And that just truly inspired me that, you know, part of my duty as a human being is to spread wellness and not let any individual feel alone. So I know that this comes up a lot for me. People ask me, so when did you know when you wanted to shift your career and do it? So I'd love to ask you that question. So when did you know when you wanted to shift from corporate into becoming a psychotherapist? Yeah, I would say, um, you know, just I felt like something was missing. I felt like my strength was connecting with people. And it was happening, you know, so organically for me. And I said, you know what? Like, okay, I'm a pretty good email marketing person and I'm doing well, but I felt like there was just something in me, like my fire in me that I really, really needed to use that, use that strength. And um, so from that point, I took that leap of faith and I worked like bottoms up. I, you know, before I went to graduate school, I worked as like a relief counselor in um, 
San Francisco in um, like the residential, which is where we work with like a lot of, um, you know, psychiatric, you know, people who work, who are in the hospital, like in the psychiatric like environment and um, just really helping them reintegrate into the community. So that's kind of where I started off and I just wanted more and more. And, you know, in that, in that kind of environment, I didn't really see South Asians. Um, and so that was kind of where like, I needed to take this further. How can I work with South Asians? You know, um, they're highly unlikely to be in a residential, right? Because a lot of our South Asian community, we want to stay within closed doors, within the help of our own community versus get seeking help outside. So inspiring. I love that. And, you know, being South Asian, and we talk about this, I think it's this conversation is happening more prevalently, which is amazing to see. But many, like whether I've talked to someone, you know, my friend personally, or just connecting with women, just in general, like through Instagram, we see this common thread that many of us were kind of raised from this thread of you don't you don't feel super super happy you don't feel super super sad um you live in this kind of like emotional numbness of like teetering between anxiety and like anger and rage and it's like we're trying to break through this especially many of us who are parents i know everybody's listening to this podcast is a mom so we're really trying to build this awareness in ourselves i'd really like to get your perspective of why do you think there's such a stigma of sharing your emotions or talking about mental health, especially I find it very ironic because especially South Asians are so all about being smart and your mind and like being so strong, but like emotions are such a big part of that. Why do you think that there's this disconnect that we've experienced in our culture? Yes. And absolutely. That still exists, even though we've been seeing a lot of movement, you know, especially in our generation, like a lot of us are seeking therapy or even just talking about emotions like like you do. Yeah, in terms of the emotion piece, right? I think a lot of it has to do with the South Asian community being more of a collective, collectivist kind of community versus individualistic, right? Mm -hmm. So anytime that let's say someone were to bring up emotion, it's something like, okay, you need to realize that love is sacrifice, right? This underlying message that love is sacrifice. So kind of push it, push it over, like ignore it and keep going. You know, we've done it. And especially, you know, that kind might be the language that you're getting from like your parents' generation, right? Generationally, they have sacrificed a lot to be here. And that's, that's beautiful. And that's wonderful. And at the same time, it's okay to express emotion. And especially if you're growing up in a household that doesn't talk about emotions, somewhere down the line, you're thinking that feeling and talking about emotions is unacceptable, mm-hmm. right? So that's like a big part of it. And again, like that collectivist um, kind of, you know, community versus being individualistic, which is what the more Western kind of outlook mm-hmm. is, is like I have feelings. And, you know, for a South Asian community and traditionally, it's like, you don't need to talk about your feelings. Like we have all this other stuff to be doing. Mm-hmm. Back to that message that love is sacrifice. Ooh, I never thought about it like that. I like that perspective shift. And that makes a lot of sense. Like when I think about it through that filter, you're right. We value what other people think of us or other people because of that collectiveness, right? And it it kind of puts that piece together. 
So I have a question, and this is actually for me, because I don't know if anybody else is confused about this, but I've always been confused about what are the differences? Okay, so we have psychotherapist, then you hear psychologist, and then you hear psychiatrists. So can you break down for us, like, what is the difference between them? Okay, so the the funny thing is psychotherapists under that umbrella are actually those with MSWs, those with um, licensed marriage and family therapists, um, PhDs, PsyDs, and psychiatrists. So all of those can be considered psychotherapists. Uh, I would say the biggest distinction is that, of course, with a psychiatrist, they can provide, um, in addition to psychotherapy, they can provide like medication support. Um, and um, with psychologists and PsyDs, um, specifically psychologists, in their in their work, they tend to do more research, or you could find them in like school settings doing testing. And PsyDs, you know, they have a very like perhaps like a specific um, like um, clinical setting that they work with. And in terms of licensed um, masters in social work or you know marriage and family therapists, their work is pretty interchangeable. You know, traditionally maybe um, social workers are found more in like school settings or um, working with child protective services, but at this point, they're pretty interchangeable. Okay. All right. So that I wasn't too far off. That's what I was thinking. Like, I know it's like, okay, psychiatrists can prescribe medicine, but I'm so glad that you explained it in that way for anyone who might, I'm sure there's probably other people who are listening who didn't know the differences. Right. I mean, it's really confusing for me. I literally last night was like texting my friend who's has this ID. And I'm like, wait, I just want to make sure I'm properly representing you. Yeah. It's, and you can get support from any of them, you know? And I think when it comes down to like actually seeking support, you know, looking at their profile, seeing what maybe experience that they have um, could really help guide you in terms of who you want to look for. Yeah. And with everything now being like virtual, more so virtual, do you, yeah. when you're looking for a therapist, do you have to go to someone that's licensed in your state or can you get, can you get treatment or can you talk to someone who's like licensed in a different state? So really good question. And I get this a lot, especially on social media, you know, people are like, Oh, can you work with me? And it's like, you know, I'm so honored. And at the same time, because you're not residing in California, I cannot because I'm only licensed in California. And the intention behind this is really to protect the client in mm -hmm. case in if in case there's like a safety issue, um, you know, something like that, where we can't actually we don't know the laws fully, right? Mm -hmm. California laws. So that's kind of the reason in terms of that. So Archana, if anybody's looking for a therapist, what are the best resources or places they could go to seek a therapist? Yeah, that's like a really good question because I think people are like, okay, I think I need therapy. Now what? Right? Like, where do I, where do I go? Who do I turn to? Um, so there are a couple avenues. You know, one is like talking to your doctor for referrals. So that's one um, avenue. Another one is if you do work or if your partner works, you can actually get free counseling for up to six sessions, I believe, through your EAP program, which stands for, I think, Employment Assistance Program. Mm -hmm. um, that's a great avenue. The only disadvantage of that is that after those six sessions, um, 
you know, you would have to pay out of pocket or pay or look for another therapist. So that's really good for, you know, just very goal oriented, solution focused type work. Um, Another, obviously, is if you have insurance, like going through your insurance. So that can always be another one. Um, The disadvantage per se on that is that you might not find a therapist that matches you, especially if you're South Asian and you're listening. It, It could be a little bit trickier, but there are some. There are some. Um, another thing is like what we're doing, like word of mouth, um, finding out from like a friend or, you know, listening to a podcast, but again, right. It's a very personal thing. So even this therapist might be great for your friend, but it might, they may not be great for you. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing is just looking into like social media. Um, you can search the word therapist and a lot of therapists do advertise themselves in some shape and form on the social media or Google. Um, but for in terms of like websites, like one website is goodtherapy.org. Another one is therapyden.org. And another one is the popular one, psychologytoday.com. And then if you are South Asian, there's southasiantherapist.org. And then if you are a mother or someone who is pregnant, there's postpartum.net. And then if you're someone who's lo- looking for therapy, but can't afford therapy because therapy is an investment. I will say, yes, there is openpathcollective.org. So there's, um, therapy services, I think are run around 30 to $60 per mm-hmm. minute session. So, yeah, so that's, there's still so many other resources, but hopefully that's the- a good place to start. And like oh. you mentioned before, you suggest that it's, you look for a therapist that's licensed in the state that you Yes. yes. Exactly. And, you know, I know you mentioned the word license. So I will say even if they're not licensed, and they're working towards their hours, that can still be a really good um, opportunity, because the fees could be potentially lower. Mm-hmm. And just because they're not licensed, they're actually getting a lot of supervision, like so much supervision, um, which means like they have the opportunity to get guidance every week, in support of you. So that's another thing that I will say like, don't, don't feel like a license is necessary, but really just check out their bio, look at their experience and like what modalities that they work with um, and see what seems to be a good fit and do that call. Each therapist should provide you with that consultation. Mm-hmm. Talk to them, feel it out. And the same way, like you are not stuck with a therapist. If you don't like your therapist or you don't feel like it's a good fit, you can say that and you can move to another one. It's like a date. You'd be like, oh, this one didn't work. So <laughs> it's like speed, it's like online dating. It's like speed dating. It's a little, it is awkward. That experience is a little bit awkward, you know? So it's okay though to say no and find another one. Yeah. Absolutely. That's really good advice. And we'll put a list of all your different resources in the show notes um, so that if anybody needs access to them, um, you can turn to them. But thank you so much for that thorough list. That's really helpful. Yeah, no problem. And I think this is a great segue. So many people kind of have like their only perception of what therapy is, is what they see on TV and movies. It's like you're somebody who's like chronically analyzing what you're saying with a notebook and you're laying on a couch. So can you break it down for us? Like what does, I know that it's different because you work with kids and you work with couples and you work with um, mothers and, you know, I know that everything is a little bit different, but can you give us like an idea of like what therapy really entails and what it feels and looks like? 
Sure. So I think like traditionally, um, psychotherapy used to look like what, you know, kind of like someone laying on a couch and someone sitting there and predominantly like talk therapy. Um, so there are therapists that do predominantly talk therapy. Those might be more on the psychoanalytic angle. Um, so they're really disclosure is very minimal. You might not know beyond their name and the letters, you know, attached to their name. Um, so that's like very, very traditional, like um, psychodynamic, psychoanalytic um, type of talk therapy. But these days, it's so integrative, um, and which is what, where I really, really enjoy being a therapist. I feel like it's like the, it, there's a dance going on, you know, in this like energetic field between like two people. And um, so therapy can look like a mixture of talk therapy. It can be a mixture of working into the body, which is like somatic work definitely spiritual work there's you know like I've danced with my clients I've sung with my clients I've done all sorts of things it's a really it's a really intimate intimate space um so that's kind of you know that's what it can look like um what else about it you know it's therapy like therapy should be comfortable like you should feel safe obviously but you don't want to be too comfortable because it's when there is discomfort, that's where the work is. That's where the magic is. So, um, so that's something I always like to share because it's not necessarily one-sided. It is, there's a lot of work on both ends. Uh, but I, I tend to think of it as if you come in and you're, you're, you're having this opportunity to be seen fully. And that itself can be intimidating for people, you know, um, but the whole idea behind therapy is however we navigate outside of the therapy room ends up showing up in the room between the relationship, the therapist and client. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. And, you know, I think um, one of the big aspects of therapy, especially because I've gone to therapy before and I've also like my husband and I, we were like, you know what, we should go to couples therapy. Like my friend uh, recommended who does like more of a Buddhist tradition. And we're like, yeah, we want to have some more communication tools. And we actually, well, interestingly, we were supposed to have our first session yesterday, but she got sick. So we're having it next week. But it's like, it's also very like, as, as you said, I think it's finding the person who kind of relates to you. Like if you're a more spiritual person, which, which I am. So I was like looking forward to somebody who can bring those types of, um, you know, skills and that ability. So I think um, that's really important. And I also want to just kind of highlight this too with South Asians, especially, right? Because it's already kind of hard to kind of share your emotions and express your emotions. Have you found that it's, like culturally, that it's easier to go to someone who's had a similar background or similar similar culture or not necessarily? So yes and no. I think, you know, there's benefits of seeing someone who's, you know, similar to you. And there's, there's also benefits of seeing someone that's really different from you. I think it really matters um, for the individual, depending on where they are in terms of their life and in their journey and what they want to work on. For example, right, if you're first, you know, dipping your feet into therapy and you're naturally drawn to working with someone South Asian because you just don't want to necessarily explain yourself to an extra level, that could be a great place because already that understanding is there. For example, I work with some like South Asian mothers and we don't have to talk about Methi. We don't have to talk about ghee. Like it's understood. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's great because we can kind of, 
you know, get into the deep work sooner. Um, on the other hand, like if you are wanting to work on, you know, like racial issues and racial injustices and specifically, let's say with, you know, a Caucasian person or an African-American person, then it might be beneficial to sit with a therapist of that so that you can work on the on the stuff. But you have to be ready for that, too. So it's not it's not um, atypical to be seeing a different therapist throughout a throughout your life based on what you need. Yeah, because my initial my initial is like, oh, I want to go to someone who's similar to me. Exactly. Because there's a level of comfort. But actually, yeah, I could also see a benefit of going to someone who's different than you. I like that. Um, I never thought about that. I like You have to be ready kind of to do that work, right? So I think it's understanding that therapy is work. You might leave session feeling a little messy. You might, you know, you're going to be bringing up stuff that you're not typically tapping into it's a very intimate setting um but at the same time like part of the therapist's work is to make sure that you're leaving session like together not a complete like a jumbo of like emotions like spilling over right that yes too healthy yeah um, and like in terms of therapy i think a lot of the questions that people ask like uh, along with that question of like what therapy looks like in a session I think um, there's a lot of like evidence-based like work that's out there. And I think those, that is about more like getting tools to help you live day to day. I think that is really like helpful. And at the same time, death therapy, which is all the other stuff working into like childhood and just kind of the deeper work, you know, like things like shame and guilt and self-esteem, those things um, kind of reside in us a lot deeper so I would like, I always like think of like a spear and like the depth work, the, the growth that's happening from within as well as on the surface. And that's kind of what therapy can be. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. And it's of course, like our willingness to show up and to be yeah. ready for that. Right. Cause it is, cause I think also like a lot of times, like, you know, the people that we're surrounded with in our life, the people that love us, our friends or family, right. They, they want to be able to support us, but they might not have that ability. Like you are talking about to take you into that discomfort zone, to be able to be the mirror, to kind of take you deeper into that healing or to be able to see like, what is your lesson from this? And that's where therapy I feel like really can help because it takes, you yes there's an awareness of maybe what the issue is but now you're going to be able to transcend it and it's like that safe place of doing that so I love that absolutely because um like you can hate your therapist and that might be a good thing Mm -hmm. because there's work there that can be like you guys there's an opportunity for growth right there versus like a friend right like a friend it's a lot it could be a lot to hold for a friend and you know, and your therapist is not your friend. You can like your therapist and you can also have moments where you feel unheard or something. And there's that opportunity for a client um, to bring that up, which may be difficult for some people, but we as therapists invite that all the time because we are here. We're going to sit with you in that. I love that. Thank you. And I think one of the things that we've been, and we've talked about this, is that we've been seeing a lot of, especially with South Asian moms, is the opening of the conversation of postpartum depression and even depression within pregnancy. Like I had that in my second pregnancy. And I mean, I'm like, for for a lot of people, like they'd be like, wait, you meditate, you're like so tuned in, but it's just, I mean, that's just 
the reality. Like there was something that I was feeling just like these really, really highs and these really, really like lows. And I even told my husband, I was like, you have to I be keenly aware that if you see signs of when I like after delivery, like if you seen postpartum signs, you have to shine that light on me because I might be like mentally just not able to see it. And I'd love for you to just talk a little bit about what are some of the signs and symptoms that you see? I know it's different for each individual. However, people aren't going to say like, come out and say like, I feel depressed. It's like there's probably different ways of how it's manifesting for them. So can you help us um, kind of be aware of some of the signs so that when our loved one or a sister or a friend um, is kind of maybe going through that, that we can be more attuned or mindful of that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think just in general, like when we are experiencing depression or anxiety or just not feeling well, it's sometimes hard to have that self-awareness when you're going through it, right? Like just like how you mentioned, like when you were experiencing like depressive symptoms when you were pregnant, like similarly for me, I had postpartum depression and I was in graduate school. So I'm definitely learning about everything there married to a physician, and both of us, we didn't, we didn't see it, you know, and I was really blessed that I, you know, saw my therapist after and she kind of validated that for me that I what I experienced was postpartum depression. So it's, yeah, and it's and also especially during this period of like having a baby and especially being a new mom, you know, there's so much there's so many factors that play a role. There's the piece of like, the grief around like your life change, right? It's not what it used to be. Um, the expectation of what society puts on us, the expectation of what our South Asian culture puts on us, like how we should be feeling. Or, for example, like, oh, you're not feeling well, you probably need to rest, you probably need to eat healthy. I don't know. You know, it's just like, sometimes there's unintentional minimizing that might exist in our South Asian community. Um, so there's, you know, there's just so many factors. And then the biological factor, the hormonal factor that plays a role. So, you know, in terms of just not being aware of what's going on, things are happening so rapidly. Um, so I guess like, you know, to summarize initially, like p- postpartum. So there's this whole category of perinatal mental health, because it's also during pregnancy that we can actually see symptoms of, you know, an assortment of things like anxiety, um, like depression. Um, as well as like OCD, PTSD, um, psychosis. There's just there's so many things that could actually show up, um, and especially like postpartum. So I guess like in terms of like symptoms, right? And so specifically about postpartum, I think one of the things is like feelings of hopelessness, um, feeling like a disconnect with the world, um, with your baby, um, you know, um, feeling immense like sadness or having like crying spells, um, just, you know, physically not able to get like sleep or having loss of appetite, those things also, um, feeling like, you know, not being here, you know, or, you know, in the terms of like being in danger to yourself or even someone else. Um, so having thoughts like that. And the, the thing is, these might show up right away. And this could actually fall into the category of like postpartum blues, which is something that occurs initially, about a couple of weeks in the beginning. Um, there's also postpartum pinks that people don't really talk about. That's actually elevated experiences where you're like, everything is fine and dandy. And it's almost looking a little bit like OCD and anxiety. 
but those things should dissipate. And if they don't, you might be a person who's experiencing something a, a lot more serious, um, like postpartum depression, anxiety, PTSD, and so on. So in that situation, like if you notice that you're either experiencing it or someone that you love experiencing, I guess it's two different things. So if you're experiencing it, is the first thing to go to your doctor or to go to a therapist, like what is the steps to take? Sure. And I think, you know, you know, I, as a therapist, yes, diagnosis like does show up and we have like our laundry list of criteria. And at the same time, I just honestly have this like blanket statement. It's like if you don't feel right, feel like yourself or if you want to feel better you're deserving of getting wellness if you're deserving of getting support please reach out you do not have to fit all the you know criteria for a diagnosis you know to like you do not have to feel suicidal support right so that's something but i think in terms of where you can get support um your you know ob is one place you know um you can talk to them and then they should hopefully be able to connect you with someone if they don't see it, which is a likelihood um, that they might unintentionally minimize your experience. That happens um, based on a, a bunch of things, who the who the physician is, how you delivered it, right? So there's all these things. Do not stop. That would be my message. Like if you feel like, okay, this person wasn't able to hear me for whatever reason, that's okay. I'm going to reach out to someone else, telling your partner, telling a friend, um, you know, just reaching out that way is going to be like one of the first steps, I would say. Say if you know someone and you're recognizing the signs in someone, like what could we say that would be supportive to help them? Yeah, I think, you know, it's it gets tricky, but especially in the South Asian community, just trying to like normalize it, right? Um you know, not trying to isolate someone, but instead say like, okay, like I'm here. It sounds like you're going through something that's really rough. Like I didn't experience this, but what, you know, what you're sharing is like, it seems like really, really tough, you know? And like, how can I help you? Just straight up asking, like, how can I help you? Or depending on your relationship, like I'm going to reach out to your partner or let me sit with you and find you a therapist. You know, at least like talk to them. Is that something I can do? So those are kind of things that we can do. Because right, like we aren't therapists, right? I'm not my friend's therapist, even though I'm a therapist, right? So and you know, and that conversation is even tricky for me sometimes, because it's like therapy isn't talked about. It's very different. Like, if you found a good acupuncturist or a good um, dentist, you're like, oh my gosh, guys, like I just met with this awesome acupuncturist or this dentist, like, let me give you their info. That's not really happening with therapy in general across all like societies and communities. So that, so I would say, yeah, just like sitting with them and helping them make that phone call could be one big step. Yeah. And I wanted to also talk about um, you are now newly a co-facilitator for Postpartum Support International, South Asian Mom Support Group. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that. And if moms are looking um, for support, like how they can connect with you. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, Postpartum Support International is a great resource. Um, just they have everything, like all the diagnostics. And also they have like a whole... Um, you know, service provider, you know, 
like link where you can actually search for a for, search for someone who's trained in perinatal perinatal wellness. Um, in fact, you can find me on there too. So it's really great. So if you are a mom out there that's like, hey, I need some support around postpartum or pregnancy or just feeling like those kind of things are lingering because, you know, in some studies and some articles, it's shown that postpartum can, period can go up to like three years. So you can feel the impact that late into your child's life. Um, so postpartum support international, um, they have a ton of weekly and monthly and bi bi-monthlies like support groups and they're peer support groups. So, which means like, even for myself, someone who's experienced postpartum depression and someone who just recently experienced postpartum anxiety, talk about it too. So it is not, it is not therapy, but it's a peer support group. But peer support groups, along with medication, along with psychotherapy, these are like avenues of ways to get help. So not necessarily that psychotherapy could be the only avenue or medication could be the only avenue. You could do a combination of them all. And in terms of the South Asian one, we just started it. And last month was our first one. And it's every, every first Monday of the month at, let me see. 1 p.m. PST and 4 p.m. EST. And it's about 90 minutes and it's free. So, which is really great. And to sign up, you would just have to go to like the postpartum, postpartum.net website and um, enroll yourself in there. And yeah, and you just show up and it's really great. We talk about, we use the first like 15, 20 minutes to talk about what these diagnoses are and how to get help and get you connected. And then the rest is just a free open space to talk about how you're feeling. Oh, how beautiful is that? That's amazing. I love that that's available. And of course, we'll have Archana's information in the, the show notes. So in case if you need help to find access to that support group or connect with her, you know, um, I'm sure she's going to be available to you guys to help you with that too. But thank you so much. This was so helpful. I know that I learned so much from it. And I hope like, and as your intention is too, is to, to break down the stigma, to allow this beautiful, like, as you said, like this magic and this dance that you can create with a therapist, should you um, decide to have that journey and that relationship with someone, I think it's such a beneficial and such a beautiful thing. And thank you for the work that you do and bringing your light to all of us. We love all those videos and all the singing. And if you don't follow Archda, you can certainly follow her on Instagram. You know, and that's part of my work too. Like I love being creative, but I, I'm being vulnerable because I want, you know, I can't ask my clients to be vulnerable if I myself cannot. So, um, so that's the other piece of like a therapist, like we do our work, you know, we're constantly doing our work so we can better be there for the person across the room or there. Yeah. Yes, I love it. And so for any mama who is not following you, can you let them know where they can connect? www.presentfulmama.com you can connect with me there awesome thank you so much this was so great i loved having you i'm so glad we're spreading the wellness yes me too all right guys thank you so much for tuning into this episode again all of urchina's information will be in the show notes and if you have 
any sort of, whether it's depression or anxiety or anything, there is support out there. And my intention is that this conversation will help you find the support that you need. So thanks so much, guys. Bye. If you've been loving the Time and Talks podcast and you find value from it, I would be so eternally grateful if you take a moment of your time to leave a rating and review over at Apple Podcasts. And when you do, I love to gift you my seven-day stress detox course. All you got to do is screenshot your review before you submit it. Email it to me at thejal at thejalvpatel.com. And when you do, I'll inbox you the details of the course. This course has my go-to tools anytime I feel impatient, angry, frustrated, and I come to them almost every single day. And I promise these are the tools that you're going to want to have in your back pocket too. And if you haven't purchased the Meditation for Kids book, definitely do so now. You can purchase it anywhere you buy books. Amazon, Barnes & Noble's Target, IndieBound, BAM. And you can go to Meditation for Kids book.com to get more information on the meditation for kids masterclass course if you're a complete beginner in learning how to teach meditation to your kids this is the step-by-step roadmap that's going to teach you how to teach your kids meditation without having to become a certified meditation expert thank you so much guys bye